January 12th, 2016. Took Jamie to the dentist for three fillings today. I've been so fortunate to never have had a filling. I've only had one bad tooth. That was a wisdom tooth that came in while I was pregnant. I had it pulled and no other teeth issues since. That was short. How about February 5th? Email to Jamie about Bobcat by Brandon Mall this morning. 2013 was last adult Bobcat capture who lived, and that was Dante. And that was four days after Fencer Bobcat. Last night, Bobcat is still sternal and breathing hard. I am so proud of you. I wish you could have seen yourself catching him last night through my eyes. It was slow motion and rivaled the precision and grace of a gold-winning ice skater. This is our 44th response to Bobcat calls since we started keeping track in 1994. And because that makes no sense on its own, <laughs> let me read February 6th, 2016, Brandon Bobcat call. This morning at 1.15 a.m., Carol and Jamie responded to a call in Brandon about a Bobcat. Obviously, I'm writing this to our volunteers and supporters. This morning at 1.15 a.m., Jamie and Carol responded to a call in Brandon about a bobcat being hit by a car. Dr. Justin Borstein came in and they did x-rays to see what could be done. Jamie recalls the event. I get a call at 1.15 a.m. and it's a man saying that his wife has found an injured bobcat in the middle of the highway in Brandon. Most people have no idea what a bobcat looks like, so I ask him to have his wife text me a photo. Dang, it's a bobcat. Now I'm awake. I call my mom to see if she has a net and a carrier at her house next door so that I can save time getting to the scene, but she doesn't. She gets out of bed and says she'll go with me. As I hop into her truck, she says, do you have a coat? It's in the 50s, which is freezing for us Floridians. And I say, I'm in my pajamas. No, I didn't bring a coat. Turns out she's barely dressed and forgot hers too. Thankfully, there are blankets in the truck. Good news about early morning bobcat calls is that there's no one on the streets, so we get to the sanctuary four miles away in record time and exchange her pickup truck for the Tundra with a topper that we won in a Facebook contest a few years ago. Thank you everyone who voted for us. We had just released Rain and Dancer, the nine-month-old rehab bobcats, the day before, so there are still nets and gloves in the back. We grab a big carrier out of the emergency response center and on our way. Meanwhile, the Good Samaritan who had called in the accident is frantic because the police have shown up on the scene and told her she can't stay in the middle of the highway. She puts the officer in charge. She puts the officer in charge in touch with me by phone, and he's saying he doesn't think the bobcat is going to make it and maybe should just be put out of his misery. I tell him that a bobcat in shock can look quite dead, but can regain consciousness very quickly and that they have an amazing ability to heal. I don't want him to shoot the cat in the head, so I tell him that my husband is a veterinarian and is standing by to humanely euthanize him if that's what has to be done. He asks how long before we'll be there, and by now we are about 20 minutes away. More calls and texts back and forth, and the woman who originally called us seems sure the police sent her away so they could dispose of the cat. We are driving as fast as we can, but it's a long way from Citrus Park to Brandon Mall and we aren't allowed to use flashing lights and sirens in order to save wildlife. Maybe we need a law that would allow rehabbers the same use as ambulance drivers. The policeman contacted me again, and he sounds like he's ready to call it quits because the bobcat looks so bad. 
He says that he doesn't think that the cat is going to make it and that he's bleeding from the nose and his eyes look bad and even thinks that he can be picked up by hand. By now we are five minutes out and I just ask him to wait. He agrees. Carol recalls what happened next. As Waze is telling us that we are arriving at the location, I see the flashing lights of a patrol car and start to pull up behind it, but then notice there are patrol cars' lights flashing at every corner of this huge intersection. My first concern is which one should I pull up next to in order to have our tools closest to the cat, but then my heart leaps with joy to realize the agency has cordoned off the entire road to ensure that no one runs over the bobcat who is crouched in the middle of the road. I've never seen the police be so concerned about an injured animal before, and it makes me grateful beyond belief. In the center of all the chaos, I can see him, and he looks huge. He's in pain, so he's all puffed up, but the lights from, but the lights from angle highlight a halo in his fur tips. He's in pain, so he's puffed up, but the lights from angle highlight a halo in his fur tips that make him seem enormous. I wondered to myself if I brought a big enough carrier. Jamie and the officer she had been speaking with grabbed the nets and I grabbed the carrier out of the back of the tundra and head toward the bobcat. As we approach, Jamie asks how close the officer has been to the cat so that she can assess his fight or flight distance. The officer says he's been right up on him, but that the cat seems to be recovering. He suggests that perhaps his bell has been unrung, meaning that he thinks the bobcat might be coming to his senses and may be more likely to bolt. Artfully, Jamie breaks away from the cat's view of me with the carrier and the policeman with a net coming at his face and sneaks around behind the bobcat. Sure enough, when we are all about 10 feet out, the bobcat decides that he isn't going to be taken alive, and he uses the last of what he has in him to leap to our left. Jamie comes in like a ninja, with one downward sweep of the net over him as he leaps. It's a righteous netting, as we call it around Big Cat Rescue, because not only is the net over the cat, but the forward movement of his leap against the netting has landed him over the outside ring of the net's neck. It is that configuration that allows us to lift a bobcat securely because they can just hop right out of your net if it doesn't fold over the edge. My heart swelled with pride that Jamie has shown such proficiency under pressure. The officer showed some pretty amazing skills as he leapt right into the fray and put his net down over the top of Jamie's. That little bit of extra security can make the difference between keeping a bobcat in a net and having them break free. I put the carrier in front of Jamie's net and ask the officer to trade spots with me. Jamie and I have moved countless cats from nets into carriers over the years, and it isn't easy. One wrong move and the cat is free. In cases like this, where the cat's legs were not injured, he could definitely outrun us and get lost in the underbrush before we would be able to catch up. His facial injuries would then cause him to die a long and painful death. We couldn't risk it. The officer, rather expertly I might add, put one foot behind the carrier to brace it. Sometimes an animal goes in so fast that they are able to push the carrier away from the nets and then can turn on a dime to escape through the crack. Jamie lined her net up to the open door, and I used mine to push his tail in through the opening. 
The officer, or Jamie, slammed the door shut while retrieving the netting, but it happened so fast, I'm not sure whose hands were where. But the bobcat was safely secured. We shouted our thanks out to the officers who were guarding the intersection and gave the officer in charge our brochure to share in case they got more bobcat injury calls. Jamie called her husband, Dr. Justin Borstein, and told him we were successful and on our way to the Winsong Memorial Hospital. He met us there around 2.45 a.m. This turned out to be Thor. You can find out Thor's story at bigcatrescue.org forward slash Thor.